I'm running out of cold opens. <laughs> I feel like I'm eventually going to have to start doing warm ones. Cold open, an opening that is cold. I don't know. <laughs> Please tell me you were recording that. I Of course I was recording that. <laughs> that's, that's our new opening to every episode. Mini, mini, micro, and otherwise. Well, hello there, kids, and welcome to another mini, mini microsode of my spooky gay family. This is the weirdest mini, mini microsode we've done in a while because I'm like, I don't know where we're going. This is a whole, this is a totally new ground. <laughs> <laughs> we're not going into uh, the haunting of Hill House, and it feels so strange. It really does, and a little sad, doesn't it? It's like, it's- yeah, it makes me. I'm like, oh, I feel like we just spent all this time. Uh, finding this family and now they're gone. On the other hand, we did get confirmation this weekend that Haunting of Bly Manor is in fact coming out this fall on Netflix. They have I... not given a date. <laughs> no date, but I'm like, I'm like, how many episodes of our new show will we will we get to record? <laughs> will it make us? Will it take us right up until the point they release the Haunting of Bly Manor? <laughs> you never know. Um, and it's interesting because I'm I'm wondering if they're going to do it the same way that they did Haunting of Hill House, where they're going to release it all at the same time and you can just go fucking nuts, or if we're going to have to watch it episodically. I mean, it's Netflix, so they usually put it out all in one shot, very they, much like the new show we're doing. Uh, well, exactly. They usually do, but I have seen... Uh, this show was released semi-episodically, wasn't it? Was it? I, I thought it was all put out at the same time. I could have sworn that new episodes came out after the original several ones. That is possible. I have to admit, I missed the original. Um, in the interest of full disclosure, I have only watched the first two episodes of the show. So <laughs> It's actually kind of nice. We'll get to yeah, do a so, watch along. So I'm actually watching along this time. <laughs> <laughs> and the other nice thing is it's not like Haunting of Hill House where like, we watched the whole series two years ago and now we know things and we're giving it away as we go <laughs> to people who are trying to watch along. They're like, stop telling us what's going to happen. We want to watch it. Uh, this one is complete. Every episode is unrelated to the next. It is all brand new information every single time. I will tell you as someone who has watched all of these episodes, some crazy shit is about to happen. <laughs> Well, I mean, that was always the the original series was always like that. There was always just fucking crazy shit on Unsolved Mysteries. It was like my favorite show when I was a kid. <laughs> it, I went back and forth with it because there were sometimes it was like really good and it creeped me out, and then there were sometimes that I was like, "This guy is is very dry." <laughs> <laughs> What's his name? The original host. Oh fuck! God, now I'm gonna have to try and remember his his damn name uh i can't remember his name off the top of my head but i remember like as a little kid when it would come on like nick at night and you'd be like oh unsolved mysteries is this gonna be a really good one or is this just gonna be about the fake aliens again? it's uh, robert stack robert stack that's right you are correct um 
Yeah, the alien episodes in the original series were not as compelling. I will say in... Well, I won't give it anything away. <laughs> he literally just said... I know. <laughs> I was like, well, we can't give anything away. Surprise, I did. <laughs> it's Unsolved Mysteries. You knew there was going to be an alien episode. <laughs> Uh, there is an alien episode. I won't tell you what happens in it or how compelling it is, but at least not until we get to it. It's not that far in, if I'm not mistaken. I want to say it's only like four episodes in, or something. Well, I like mean, that. there's only like six episodes. Yeah. Well, to be fair, none of the episodes are very far in. <laughs> that's that's true. Um, episode two, I will. Say, I, I I won't give anything away. Episode two was one of my favorites. Uh, I really enjoyed episode two. And I really liked the alien episode. I, th- I will say there wasn't an episode I wasn't interested in. Like, there was none I could have turned off in the middle. Good. I don't- <laughs> <laughs> it's good news. I- I'm saying for those of you who are, are watching along with us and you haven't watched the series yet, don't don't worry it's it's really entertaining especially if you like true crime and if you like kind of inexplicable weirdness and who doesn't like inexplicable weirdness <laughs> That's, we've basically made an entire podcast out of it yay <laughs> <laughs> so this is it this is the beginning of unsolved mysteries like we said uh we're diving into the first episode and the first episode is it's a really good introduction to the series for people who were too young to have seen the original one and weren't sure what to expect in this. I will say a lot of times, because I've started several podcasts, listening to several podcasts mm-hmm. that were about cold cases, and I've started reading several books about cold cases, and I have to say, sometimes... I find myself giving up because I'm like, I can't stand the fact that there's no resolution to the story. Right. I don't find myself necessarily feeling that in this. It feels a little more like uh, making a murderer where it's like, we don't really know what happened and it's kind of still anybody's guess what's going on, but it feels a little bit like we're onto something. Yeah, it at least feels like there's a possibility that this could get figured out. And Unsolved Mysteries, the original show, had something of a habit of figuring this shit out. Like, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I'm especially hopeful that this one gets resolved because it fucked with my head. This one is, and that's why I was saying it's such a good introduction because it's like, it's probably the most, like, mind fuckery that happens in the series. There's a there, there's a lot of unexplained obviously there's six episodes but yeah. there's a lot of there's a lot of unexplained stories but this one has the most loose ends and it's it's really bizarre especially Be- because it seems like it should be so straightforward I know but it's just not like it's just like- every time you think you've got it figured out it's like and we're going left it's like oh okay never mind well that did I didn't see that coming well shit. <laughs> Because initially when, because I did a little bit of reading about this before I watched the episode, Mm -hmm. um, just to kind of, because I I didn't want, I didn't want to go in completely cold because, because one thing Unsolved Mysteries does do is it's a documentary series, but like, they do kind of steer you in a certain direction a lot of the time. Yeah, absolutely. So I kind of wanted to come at it objectively and without the producers deciding what I should feel. (laughs) And um, that didn't work at all. No. Um, <laughs> because 
I walked in thinking, oh, okay, this is pretty straightforward. Like, this is a sad thing that happened, but I don't think a mystery. And then I watched the episode and I'm like, oh, well, fuck. Oh, well, this is actually quite a well, mystery. Well, fuck then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. So this one, this is very interesting because this is obviously normally when we're reviewing Haunting of Hill House, we would do like a whole synopsis and we go through the story and we we joke around. This one, I feel like it's best just to like lay everything out and, and kind of talk about it. This first episode is about a gentleman named Ray Rivera who... Uh, unfortunately one day goes missing while his wife is away on I believe a business trip right uh yeah I think she was on a business trip and um he goes missing and you know obviously his wife can't find him she comes home looking for him and uh he's not there the neighbor says she saw him running out of the house rather unexpectedly it's a house a house yeah it was it was a house guest one of the wife's co-workers was staying with them and she saw Ray kind of get up and run very hurriedly out of the house, and that was the last time he was seen alive by anyone. Um, To our knowledge. To our knowledge, yes. And... The word allegedly allegedly, is going to get used a lot. Especially in this episode. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, basically what happens is, obviously, a a search begins pretty quickly, and they can't find his car, they can't find Ray, uh, his family including his mother and his brother are looking desperately for him with his wife Allison uh, who also cannot find him over the over the course of several days Um, six days six days um, they kind of exert every possible effort to find him until eventually they find his car parked in a parking lot not far from the famous Belvedere Belvedere Hotel. Hotel. In Baltimore, yeah. In Baltimore. This all takes place in Baltimore. Um, Very important to note the car had a parking ticket on it from the day that he disappeared. So they know that he drove there the day that he went missing. Most likely, yes. Yes. Um, And I say most likely, we'll get into that in a second. (laughs) Uh, It it did have a parking ticket from the day he disappeared. And um, by... Finding the car there, they they assumed that he would be in some vicinity of the car, and it turns out, unfortunately, that they were correct. Um, they found uh, Ray's remains in how was it described? It was like a steeple. No, it was um, it was part of the Belvedere Hotel, or was it was an ancillary building to the Belvedere it Hotel? Was a, it was an ancillary building, but it was connected. Yeah, it was to connected the, to, to the, the Belvedere hotel. hotel. It was described as kind of like a. A clubhouse type area or yeah. a chapel it or was like, like a chapel. Co- conference room sort of setup. Yeah, they didn't really. They weren't very specific. They described it as kind of an all of the above situation. It was just kind of a, a rec room sort of, so yeah. to speak. But it was, it was an infrequently used part of the hotel. Exactly, it was an infrequently used part of the hotel that was described as a chapel or as a club room or as a a, a rec room, some kind of meeting room whatever it could be used for it was kind of all encompassing and uh they found his body pretty mangled and it was there was a hole in the ceiling in the roof above his body that led to the outside so this led them to assume that he had committed suicide by jumping off the top of the building however upon further investigation it was unclear where he had fallen from uh and there were there were a few different 
theories that included him having jumped off the top of the building, him having jumped from a ledge on a lower level of of the building, him jumping from the park the top the of the parking, parking garage, garage yeah. next to the building. There were there were all of these kind of speculations, but it was all kind of made confusing by a lot of things, including the fact that it was a, a very small hole. It was a very small hole and it was so far away from the Belvedere. He would have had to be like that, an Olympian to jump that far. Yeah, no, like <laughs> like he would have had to A, take a running start and B, possibly be buffeted by the wind or something. Like, like yeah, it, he it was an impossible a- <laughs> jump. It looked more like he fell out of a plane. It was, yeah. it was bizarre because uh, it was in such a spot on the roof that it seemed unlikely that he had fallen or jumped from uh, uh, any of the places that were aforementioned, either from the roof or the ledge or the top of the parking garage, because it was like 20 feet from the top of the parking garage. He would have had to have jumped out 20 feet, which yeah. is in like two or three stories next to impossible. Um and then from the top of the Belvedere Hotel, it was like forty or eighty feet. It was forty-five, I think. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was some. It was some unfathomable distance that you're like, people do not jump forty feet unless they're like, centaur. <laughs> like you have to have some kind of lower half that is an animal to jump forty-five feet. I mean, it's one of those things that, depending on the angle, like you can gain some distance while you're falling but not the, that kind of distance yeah, from that kind of height exactly and on top of it i don't know if they specifically mentioned this in the uh documentary or not but it was never explicitly stated that like the angle of his body was headed in such a trajectory that he would have gone through the roof and toward the back of the room where he like if he had jumped at that angle yeah he would have continued in that trajectory uh, supposedly he would have continued on that trajectory toward the back of the room but it seemed more like he came straight straight down down because there was splatter blood spatter and forgive us this is going to be a bit gory um there was blood spatter straight up the wall where his body had come through yeah um another sort of suspect moment in all of this (laughs) is that most of his belongings were very neatly <laughs> laying around the, the hole. hole in the roof, yeah. including, I believe, uh, a sandal. There was one sandal. There were both sandals. Both sandals, his wallet, and his cell phone, which was yeah. entirely undamaged. Well, no, not his wallet. <clears throat> and that's that was one of the important parts, is they never found he carried a very distinctive silver money clip right, exactly. that they never found. Exactly. They never found the money clip, which was suspect. And his phone, uh, uh, granted it was a Nokia phone, so it probably could have withstood a nuclear blast, but it was totally undamaged on the roof of the of the building. It was not scratched, it was not dented, it was not it didn't have any damage that appeared like it would have come from. Falling. It didn't even have a crack in the screen. Exactly. there were and I mean, it wasn't a smartphone. it was it was yeah, before all of that, but even then, a cell phone was not, like, they weren't indestructible. We no. joke about it all the time, but it's, it's like a Nokia phone wasn't actually indestructible. It wasn't made of cement. So no, if as, he, as someone who had a brief stint working for Verizon in the help my phone is broken <laughs> department, they were not indestructible. No. By any means. By any means. <laughs> and uh, so that was kind of 
this is all kind of the beginning of this strange story. And it goes on to include the Freemasons and uh, his uh, his friend who is kind of a business partner. It, it all goes in this very strange direction. Um, he had a friend, and forgive me, I can't remember his name off the top Porter of Stansbury. Porter Stansbury. I kept wanting to say Proctor, and it's not Proctor. Uh, Porter Stansbury, is that what it was? Yeah, Stansbury. Porter Stansbury, who was, uh, he was kind of affiliated with, when it comes to business, you probably have a better uh, grasp on what Porter did because you watched this more recently than I did. Um, It it was something having to do with uh, flipping stocks. It was stocks. He he was like hedging stocks and, and doing things. He was advising... Uh, he he was basically a financial advisor. He would advise people which stocks to buy and which to sell and, and things like that. And so um, Ray had been working with him on some kind of uh, promotion because... Yeah, he was a videographer. He was a, Ray was a videographer and an aspiring filmmaker. And um, Porter had... Frank Porter Stansbury is his full name, but everyone called him Porter. Um he had kind of gotten himself into a bit of trouble because he had advised these people to buy this stock that he had reason to believe was going to go up and all of the people who bought it ended up losing a shit ton of money and there was there were kind of some legal ramifications of yeah no of, the SEC fined him for fraud <clears throat> yeah he got sued for fraud basically yeah. and um there was a lot of a lot of uh kerfuffle around this transaction that Ray was kind of tangentially involved in. It's all very blurry. They had been friends for a really long time. (coughs) So I think that from the way it was explained on the show, Ray was kind of brought in to kind of help with the promotional material that was going to get the firm's reputation back on track. Exactly. He Porter's reputation had been badly damaged by all by this lawsuit. And so Ray was brought on to help him promote the business and to assure people that that that's not what's going to happen in the future and this is why you should trust us. And so Ray kind of became involved in this very strange relationship that apparently ended up being strained because once the investigation began into Ray's death, Porter disappeared. He he became totally inaccessible he was uncooperative with authorities and put a gag order on all the employees of the firm that they couldn't talk to the authorities either exactly and the last phone call that that ray made was to porter from it was was from, from or the last phone call that he received was from porter's company however because it came from the switchboard they were unable to identify which line the call had come from so there's no way of knowing who placed the call but they know that it came from porter's company um and that kind of adds to the well what the fuck (laughs) also if one of your best friends just died and the police wanted to ask you questions would you a not talk to them and b put a gag order on anybody who could have possibly been the last person to speak to him exactly and to this day porter and the company um assert that there was no gag order and that uh, any insinuation that there was is false and I mean that it's one thing to say that but it's another thing but it's another that no one talked to the Baltimore PD that no one from the company would 
consent to a discussion with the Baltimore Police Department. And so it beca- it becomes a bit questionable. Yeah. Now, this uh, this is kind of the just the general overview of what this episode yeah, is. There's also um, his wife, Allison, said that uh, one or two weeks before he disappeared, their their windows on the first floor were tampered with and the alarm went off mm-hmm. like someone was trying to get into the house. Like, th- this is a crazy case. It's, <laughs> it's insane. And we haven't even gotten to the note yet. Like, we I haven't know. even gotten to the note that, that he left. And it's not a suicide note. Because um, when, initially, when they're like, yeah, and we found this note behind the computer, I'm like, well... <laughs> well, guys. But, but then you but open then it up like, and it's like, the sixth sense. M. Night Shyamalan, Freemasons, the end. And you're like, no, what? No, oh, it's I- like <laughs> a list of movies, a list of, like actors and actresses and directors and then kind of vaguely freemasony language around things like life and <laughs> secrets yeah it was very <laughs> bizarre and uh, admittedly after watching the episode i did some research into like because you never see the whole story in these these little docu-series. You never see exactly what happened. You're always seeing bits and pieces. Even something like Making a Murderer, it's mm-hmm. like, well, you're seeing this bit, this piece, but not this piece, and you're seeing this piece, but not this piece. And so I did some investigation, and it, it like you said, it turns out you actually get a pretty full coverage of the story in, in this docu-series. And then when you look into his connection to the Freemasons, it's all so bizarre. It's like he was doing research about the Freemasons and had bought like Freemasons for dummies. This is all according to an article that I read on Thrillist.com. And it's it's basically saying that, you know, according to a few sources, he the like the day he disappeared, he had bought a book that was like Freemasons for dummies. And he was very interested in the Freemasons and was doing a lot of research on the Freemasons. But I have friends who are Freemasons and I happen... I don't want to say I know because I'm not a Freemason myself, but according to them, it's not that secret a society. society. It's basically just a fraternity. (laughs) So I feel like a lot of people conflate it to being this kind of... It's like the Illuminati. Everyone's like, oh, the Illuminati. And it's like, we don't even know if they fucking exist, number one. Number two, it's like... It's like the stone cutters from The Simpsons. Exactly. <laughs> it's like Beyonce's Illuminati. And you're like, okay, drink your juice, Shelby. <laughs> it, everything is just very like, it's like, oh my God, everything is just over the top. And I don't see how him being interested in the Freemasons really ties into any of this because... There are hundreds of thousands of people that <coughs> that re- research Freemason conspiracy theories and research the organization. And... Most of them don't, almost none of them end up dead under mysterious circumstances. So, And like, not for nothing, the, he's an aspiring filmmaker. It, it could very well be that he had an idea for a movie that involved the Freemasons, and so he was doing research. There's nothing yeah. to say that... It's kind of it's that saying you always use with me when I'm like I'm like it goes straight to the top and you're like Coral- uh, correlation is not causation <laughs> like just because he was looking at an article about the Freemasons does not mean that the Freemasons killed him. I mean it doesn't mean that they. <laughs> no, but like you're like but in this case, <laughs> but in this case I could be wrong. Like like it's it's not. 
like this is the thing that fucks with me so bad about this case is just the where the fuck did he fall from exactly like that is like the one thing about this that i absolutely need to know is is like where did he fall from well and the thing that <laughs> the thing that drives me crazy is obviously there are going to be things about this case that we don't know because it is technically an open investigation and the baltimore police department i'm sure has information that we don't well it's not open though not truly because they ruled it a suicide did they? Yeah, they ruled it a suicide. The medical examiner listed the cause of death as undetermined, but Baltimore Police Department closed the case, saying mm. it was a suicide. I still have to think that there's something that either went uninvestigated or that has not been made public. Because one would think that in a situation like this, one of the theories about what happened is that he was murdered and that the crime scene was staged that basically a hole was bashed into the roof of the of the building and that his body was deposited there to make it look like he had tried to kill himself or that he had successfully killed yeah. himself um but the thing is like the injuries that he sustained <coughs> aren't necessarily consistent with a fall with being beaten to death but they're also not consistent but they're with also the fall. not completely consistent with the fall like, if that scene is staged, then the question has to be, how did they, how, how was he murdered? Like, I wonder, and this is entirely me pontificating based solely on the conversation we're having right now. There's a part of me that wonders if it's possible that he got into an altercation at the top of the parking deck mm -hmm. and he was beaten, not killed, but beaten on top of the parking garage mm -hmm. and either fell or was thrown onto the roof where he sustained the injury that killed him. And at that point, they didn't know what to do. And they kind of came up with the idea of like, oh, we'll make it look like, we'll make it look like he jumped and fell. Because again, there are things that, uh, it's like you said, he had that money clip that he carried on him all the time that he did not have on him and that is not in the house. So somebody has it. Somebody has that money clip. It seems like his personal affects were staged on top of the roof. So I'm I'm sitting here going, well, how does all of this happen? There had to have been some third party that that was involved. No. I I mean it's it's one of those things <coughs> that the the suicide theory is not impossible. It's unlikely, it's improbable, but it's not impossible. Hmm. Like, very little is impossible. <laughs> but, like, the way it was, it was so neatly arranged around the hole, like, just doesn't, does not jive with the idea that this man took his own life. Like, it just doesn't, like, that cell phone should have been off the roof, like, Skittered, his affectations should have bounced far. If he fell, because we're talking what twenty or thirty stories. Um, they never actually said the height of the Belvedere Hotel, so I'm not sure. It's it's at least eleven. Yeah, I think it's I know at that, least I know there's stories. at least eleven floors. If you fall eleven floors and you go through the building and your personal affects do not, yeah, especially something like a sandal that's probably made at least in part of rubber or leather or some kind of. Uh, squishy thing. 
I've seen how far my sandals bounce when I drop them from my beach bag. You're telling me that this guy's sandals landed neatly next to the hole and didn't go anywhere. Yeah. You know, it, it seems strange to me that one of his sandals didn't bounce farther or that his phone didn't hit the ground and, and smash smash or break or dent. Yeah. It. If I drop my iPhone in my kitchen, I'm buying a new screen. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? It, it just seems very strange to me that the placement of those of those objects doesn't, in my mind, correlate to them having fallen from any significant height. No, it doesn't. It's also the size of the hole is an issue. Like it, it, it's very. It's not impossible. If no, he but had he would have head had first to through it. head first or or feet first or feet first. Yes, feet first more likely considering the broken leg. Exactly. Yeah. Um. Like it's again, it's not impossible, but it seems highly improbable that and that's someone would feel. someone having jumped off a building would <laughs> assume that position on the way down. Yeah, he I, I, he'd have to be an Olympic diver. Yeah, no, you know what it, I mean. It doesn't really make sense. <clears throat> the whole thing just it strikes me as very odd, and I'm not saying it's impossible, like you said. But it's it's very suspicious. And I haven't seen enough evidence to convince me that there's a good reason to think it was suicide. That's there isn't... What, sorry. I was just going to say, that's what... That's what really gets me. There's no motive for suicide, as far as I can tell. No, and all of his family and friends were adamant that, you know, he wasn't on medication that could have interfered with the way he thought or acted mm -hmm. that he'd had no you know huge stressors in his life that could lead to wanting to take his own life mm -hmm. like there was no reason to believe that the thing that gets me is like there's not even really sufficient evidence to prove that he was ever in the belvedere hotel at all exactly like I there he's not on any security footage no one can remember seeing him how the fuck would he get up to the roof which was usually locked Exactly. The roof like, the roof entrance is locked. The he to get onto the ledge they were asserting it was possible he jumped from, he would have had to go through a private room. And there was no forced entry to any of the rooms. Like you said, there were no there was no security camera footage of him. And the only security cameras that could have caught him were not functional. Yeah. So it all just rings as like there's as much as there's no evidence to suggest that he was killed there's no good reason to think he killed himself either no and like all of the circumstantial evidence i would argue does point towards something else having happened towards him. some kind of third party what that thing is i fuck if i could tell you well and but that's like... that's kind of what becomes strange about it and it's what makes me really suspect porter and I, I know it's not fair, and I'm, I'm saying this is all allegedly. There's no reason to believe This that, is all rife conjecture. Yeah, this is just the, the lunatic ravings of a crazy drag queen. But I think it would help to eliminate him as some kind of suspect for him to... Say something? Say something about it. Because... I have a hard time believing that the last person we know talked to him 
called from your company and you have no idea what happened. You have no idea who it was. You have no idea what that phone call was about. And it was something that made him get up and leave immediately. Like didn't even like grab any of like he didn't even grab anything that wasn't essential. Like he grabbed all the things he absolutely needed and then left. Mm -hmm. Like it had to be an emergency. There like, was something that motivated him to be out of there damn quick. Yes. And that's kind of what becomes frustrating to me because not only do you have all of that, but then you have this weird note that was left behind and it was not it was not put anywhere that you would expect someone to leave a suicide note. No, it's tapes to the wall behind the computer is not... Yeah, (laughs) it was pretty well hidden, if I'm being honest. And that's what kind of becomes strange about it. All of this feels very broken to me. It feels like something was not right. And you know what? Maybe this is proof that there was something going on in Ray's head that we all just don't know about. Because... It is strange for him to be taping notes behind the computer. It is strange for him to get up and run out and not tell anyone where he was going. For him to not contact his wife if something was wrong. Like, that's what's so frustrating is that I could really see it going any direction because there's no concrete evidence pointing one way or the other. No, and you kind of get the impression that, like, whatever whatever that phone call was about... It was something Ray knew already. Mm-hmm. Like, um, Allison at one point said that a couple weeks before he disappeared, that something had been bothering him. Something had been worrying him, but he didn't say what it was. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have to wonder if the phone call isn't something coming to fruition that he was expecting or dreading. And she said that when they experienced what they assumed was an attempted break in, that he came out armed with a bat, very afraid. And it was a kind of afraid that she had never seen from him before. Are we supposed to believe that that means he was expecting some kind of attack or intrusion? I don't know. But it's that's kind of the impression that we get from Allison's discussion of the topic. It really seems like she suspected he was... uh, he was afraid of something. Yes, and Allison is quite straightforward in that she believes he was murdered. Um, and I'm not 100% sure that I disagree with her. I'm not either. If I'm being honest, I kind of... I'm leaning towards the fact that he was because... Like, like it sounds like a mob hit. It like, really does sound like some kind of organized crime. And I, I can't tell you exactly what it is that would lead to this but it feels very strange and granted that could just be the fact that it's literally part of a show called unsolved mysteries and it's like we're all looking for the crazy (laughs) yeah but like in order for that crime scene to be staged it just doesn't seem likely that it would be a, a random attack or Right. Like a mugging. Like no mugger is going to walk down there and and bash a hole in the floor and put him through it. Exactly. It's very involved for a simple attack gone wrong. 
Yeah, no, like this wasn't this this isn't just wrong case wrong case, wrong place, wrong time kind mm-hmm. of thing. Like if that if that whole scenario was staged, it had to be by somebody who really knew what they were doing. And that's how I feel about it. It it, it reads to me like this is as close as you can get to the perfect crime. It's someone who if if he was murdered, and I'm not saying that he was, but if he was, this setup really reads as someone who has experience staging or or some kind of forensic knowledge that would allow them to stage this scene in such an effective way. And I'm not saying I'm I'm absolutely not insinuating that this has anything to do with anyone in law enforcement i'm actually saying more that it seems like you said like some kind of organized crime or someone who has experience making people disappear yeah no um it's one of those you you know it's like they say it in the movies all the time make it look like an accident exactly yeah (laughs) not that i'm saying that we should go to mob movies for you know (laughs) forensic analysis but you know, it is those lines are in there for a reason. And the fact of the matter is that, like, obviously, mob movies and and true and crime movies are obviously uh, exaggerated and hyperbolized and and all of those things. But it's like it's like you said, it all kind of stems from some kind of truth. I mean, we come from an Italian family. We know that organized crime. Yes exists and that's not to point fingers at anyone we know but certainly not uh but we know, we have heard the stories of people who our family knew growing up that were involved in organized crime it's not some made up thing it actually exists and we know that it still exists in today's world so i don't think it's actually as far fetched to assume that he could have become mixed up in something he didn't mean to be yeah as it seems like it could be or not for nothing that Porter might have gotten mixed up in something that he didn't really mean to be. Exactly. Especially these finance guys. It's always the finance guys that get involved in some nonsense <laughs> that that you're like, oh. I've seen Wolf of Wall Street, damn it. <laughs> Leonardo DiCaprio killed Ray Rivera. Uh, that was Leonardo DiCaprio, right? It was Leonardo DiCaprio. And Michael yes. Douglas? Michael Douglas was Wall Street. Was he in Wolf of Wall Street? I can't remember. I don't watch any of these movies, if I'm being honest. I don't know. <laughs> All I know is that at one point, I think he does coke out of Margot Robbie's hoo ha. Oh, that's Margot Robbie. Yeah, Margot Robbie is in Wolf of Wall Street. I had no idea. I believe it's Margot Robbie. I could be wrong. I have that's no, literally the new Wolf of Wall Street. Right? Li- yeah. Well, Wolf of Wall Street is different from Wall, Wall Street. Wall Street. Yeah. I have no idea. Listen, I. I'm going to tell you something, and please don't take this personally if you're, if you're a cisgender straight man listening to this podcast. Wall Street and Wolf of Wall Street and all those crazy movies, they just kind of seem like, like a straight guy's Devil Wears Prada. It's like the movies <laughs> that they're like, they're like, oh, Robert De Niro is an amazing actor. I'm like, yeah, he's really great when he plays the same character 22 times. But, I love Robert De Niro. You watch your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I am admittedly biased. I I like him in some of his comedic roles, but I personally don't think 
that he is as talented as some people think he is. That's just that's, my personal that's opinion. That's fine. You're allowed to think that. I, that. Just my personal take on a very impersonal situation. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know who is a very good actor, though? Who? Al Pacino. Al Pacino is a good actor. I'll give Al Pacino some props because, again, he, he ends up in all those, like, straight guy, I'm straight porn movies. Yeah. Not porn, but, like, it's, no, like, I... like <laughs> I keep wanting to call them straight porn, but it's not straight porn. It's, like, it, it... Heterosexual power fantasy. Exactly. That's exactly how I would describe <laughs> it. Um, and Al Pacino has been in a lot of those movies, but he's also played some very complex characters in other movies. It's always, like, they're always, like, oh, so-and-so is such a great actor. And it's, like, you watch the movies, and it's always them, like playing these guys struggling with some kind of... It's like one emotion. They're feeling one thing through the whole movie and trying to figure out how to cope with it. And it's like, guys, this is not like... (laughs) This is not that impressive. Like, make a movie about someone who experiences more than one emotion at a time. (laughs) Um, But I digress. (laughs) But anyway. Exactly. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that's about... I will say this is a very interesting episode of Unsolved Mysteries and uh, it really is a good like it's a good appetizer for the rest of the series I think. Yes and on on the off chance that someone listening to this podcast has any inkling as to what happened to this guy you can go and submit hints on or tips rather at unsolvedmysteries.com Which is so funny because the last time this show existed there was a hotline yeah. <laughs> you can call 1-800. Yeah, it's a website. <laughs> unsolved. And now it's like unsolvedmysteries.com. <laughs> the end. <Yeah. laughs> no, but um I really want them to figure this one out because it's it's like the thought of it bugs me and will continue to bug me. I my hope is that and this is how I feel anytime they make some kind of documentary about a cold case. It's like hopefully bringing this to such public attention will bring about some kind of clue that and I say clue again this is like this is kind of a strange one because officially this is a closed yeah. case yeah. officially they're not looking for clues about this but we are <laughs> <laughs> essentially what it comes down to is if you were working for Stansbury Associates in 2006 and no longer work there. Or the Belvedere Hotel. Or the Belvedere Hotel. And you have some kind of fucking idea of what happened here. Like, please say something. Yes, please let <laughs> us know because we're all dying to know. All right, kids. That's it for the first episode of Unsolved Mysteries. This is exciting. It's a whole new series. A whole new us. <laughs> a whole new us. Uh, that's it for... for Unsolved Mysteries, episode one, the mysterious disappearance of Ray Rivera. But please tune in on Thursday. We have another full-length episode of My Spooky Gay Family. And we'll be back next week with more Unsolved Mysteries, which is very exciting. So until next time, stay spoopy and remember. I was just talking to someone in the police department the other day. Oh, that's suicide. So... The posture of the Baltimore Police Department is that Ray killed himself. The fact that the medical examiner left the case open in terms of manner of death as undetermined is what the case is all about, is that it doesn't have a firm conclusion to it. There are a lot of open cases.
but they aren't open like this one is open. My Spooky Gay Family features music by Nate Walker, artwork by David Elon, and this episode contains clips from Unsolved Mysteries distributed by Netflix 2020. Please subscribe on iTunes, leave us a nice message, and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Tumblr. My Spooky Gay Family is a product of Barbara Duel Productions. Barbara. <laughs>